Amen. You all can be seated as you're doing right now. How is everybody? Thank you. I thought I paid you not to say that. I see. I imagine some of you are doing really well. Like I see a lot of smiling faces, specifically on my buddy Todd with a big black M shirt. Did that happen yesterday? I'm not a Michigan fan, but that seemed like a big deal. So state fans are in here then. All right. Um, No, I'm glad. I'm glad to be here with you all. I'm excited for this morning. Um, I'm excited for this new series that we're entering into. We're going to be in Matthew 26. So if you have your Bibles, I always encourage you to follow along, whether it's on your phone or uh, the Bible that you brought in. Um, so follow along. This is so fun. As we enter into this new series, it's called Beginnings and Endings. Um, we're going to go through the next four weeks as we lead up to Christmas. Um, and Beginnings and Endings is kind of apt because what we're doing is we are ending. We've gone through all of Matthew this year. And I hope you've loved it as much as I have, but we are ending that. And we're ending this year as we end in the, the gospel account of Jesus uh, through Matthew's writings. And I hope you've gotten as much as I have out of that. And then the beginnings, obviously, is the birth of Christ, which is leading up to with, that we're going to celebrate here. So I'm excited for this series. Um, I really hope you just pay attention to what God's doing uh, in you and through you in this series. Um, And I'm also excited for this morning for another reason. Okay. If you look around the room, you will see some of our, our youngest learners, our youngest followers of Christ that are sitting right alongside you. Uh, Lucy and Sam, Mav, like we have the whole crew. And I want, I want you to know something that for me, as I sit out here and I look at all the little ones, I am extremely encouraged because what I'm encouraged about is that we have like this next generation that is going to show people Jesus. This is good. Can I get an amen? Like this is really good. And so what I want you to do is not worry about whether they're making noise or anything like that. Celebrate it that they are here with you and they're going to learn about Jesus today. Okay. So I don't want you to worry about what's going on and what they're doing. Nobody really cares. I got news for you. It's like when you're on an airplane and you're just, your baby's screaming. Like, people just feel bad for you, right? So I just don't want you to worry about it. Okay, so with the kids in the room, I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Mav, I got a question for you, buddy, okay? All right, here's what we're gonna do. All the kids, pay attention here. I'm gonna run through a scenario and I want you to know if this kind of relates to what you have gone on, what you have experienced, preferably about 10 minutes before bedtime, okay? 10 minutes before bedtime, you are sitting on your couch. You are curled up next to your mom or dad. You got a blanket on, you're you're watching your favorite show and then something clicks. 10 minutes before bedtime, you're like, you know what? You know what would be really good right now is a bowl of ice cream. Mint chocolate chip, the way that that mint tastes 
where the chocolate chips are crunchy and you take that spoonful and you eat it. There's nothing better, like nothing better would be maybe chocolate chip cookie dough. You know, that little morsel of cookie dough. Do you like that, Lucy? It's good, right? What is it? Peach ice cream? That's mine too. But you're sitting there and that is everything. And you turn to your parents and you're like, you know what? Um, I would really like a bowl of ice cream. And of course, what they say is for sure. Let's do that. No, sorry, Mark. Nobody ever does that. No, no, the parents are actually like, no, actually, it's past your bedtime. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and make you aware that you should be in bed right now. Don't even think about ice cream, right? But in the kids' minds, nothing in their world would make it better than that bowl of ice cream. That's what would make this great. And I got news for you, kids. Adults do the same thing. They do the same thing with ice cream. But we also do the same thing with our relationships. We do the same thing with our jobs. We do the same thing with our neighbors, with our coworkers. When we look at our lives, okay, we know what's going to make us happy. And that's the story that we're going to tell ourselves. Our, sometimes we say the story that our spouses just simply need to pay more attention to us. That's the story that needs to be told. Or I just need to make more money. I need to have this title. That's what, that's the story that needs to be told. Or my elected official needs to be in the office. That's the story that needs to be told. We, we run the gamut, right? Like it is everything. We know the story that needs to be told. And that's what we focus on. But I think something happens when we focus on the story that we feel needs to be told. When we are the focal point. Oftentimes, because we feel that our story needs to be told, we leave very little room for God's story to be told. I want to repeat that. We often have a story that needs to be told, whether it's in our relationships, in our jobs, or whatever it is, and we're the focal point. But what happens when, that, when we do that is we leave very little room for God's story to be told. So in this In this book of Matthew, in chapter 26, what you're going to notice is Matthew slows down the last week of Jesus' life. And specifically in chapter 26, where he slows down the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And he does so because he wants us to pay attention. He wants us to notice that even his disciples had stories that they felt needed to be told. And Jesus slows it way down because he he wants us to grasp a greater story, a bigger story that we need to focus on and that we need to tell, okay? So I want to pause here for a moment before we get into scripture. Um, We all walked through these doors today, and I'm grateful that you did, some of you for the first time. And um, I'm really glad that you chose to do that. I understand that that can be kind of a scary thing. I also acknowledge that there are people who have walked through these doors for the upteenth time. And I'm glad, I, 
I want you to know, like, when I was thinking about things that I'm thankful for, it's doing ministry with a bunch of people that want to help people find their way back to God. And I love that. So I'm grateful for you all. But I'm going to challenge you all a bit because we don't walk through these doors without the intent of being changed. We don't walk through these doors and hear a message and whether you think it's a good one or just kind of, uh, and then you go back to your everyday life. No, the intent of coming in here and listening to God's word and having the Holy Spirit transform us is so, so we experience transformation. That's really important. And we do that. I'm going to, you may have, if you've been around, you may have heard these two questions before. It's what is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? Those are the two questions I want us to be asking in this message. What is God saying to you in this? And then the most critical part is what are you going to do about it? Not just going to leave it here, right? So I want us to do that. I want that to be a critical part because as we grow into disciples of Jesus, it is in It is really imperative that we not only see the transformation in ourselves, but we go and make disciples of other people too, okay? And that can only happen through transformation. So um, ask those two questions, and we're going to dive into Scripture right now. Matthew 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him, if I deliver Jesus, over to you. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So right away, Matthew sets the stage for one of the greatest betrayals in the history of this this world. Judas is going to betray him. And context matters a ton. What we know about Judas is that he was a zealot. And what's a zealot? A zealot is somebody that would see the the Roman Empire and would pursue his life to make sure that the Roman Empire is overthrown by any means necessary, by assassination, by murder, even by betrayal of your rabbi. If we get and if you if you look at the word zealot, you'll see the word zeal is in there, okay? Zeal, the definition that I found on the internet is eagerness and ardent interest in pursuit of something. Judas plots to turn, G, to turn Jesus in for a measly four months' wages. It's not like he's getting rich off this. But a zealot would see this possibly as lighting a match and throwing it on something that is going to blow up. I mean, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the son of God, and Judas turns him into the Roman Empire, there's no way that the son of God is going to be taken in, right? There's no way that he's going to be crucified. Judas has a story that he feels needs to be told, and he takes control of it. The one that walked with Jesus, that experienced all these miracles, he takes control of it. So don't lose that. All right, let's continue. In verse 17, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. 
I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover meal. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table. Hold on to that, okay, that word reclining. Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad. I don't know if that sums it up as well. Like, they were very sad. Yes, they were, right? But I imagine this moment where he says, you've all walked with me and one of you is going to betray me, hits a little bit harder than what's, what's written there. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Hold on to that too. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not even been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. Okay, pause here. Um, I believe there is a common misunderstanding of this whole scene. It's a really critical scene. But I believe that there is a misunderstanding of how we picture this whole thing going down. Okay, when I ask you to picture the Last Supper, would anybody be brave enough to tell me what you picture? No. No? Can I help you? What was it? The famous painting. Can we bring that up, please? That. Do you picture that? This picture that da Vinci painted, it's a beautiful painting. It's from 1498. It's beautiful. And it's contextually and historically incorrect. When you look at this painting, this is what we picture. Okay? But I think what we miss in scripture, and scripture supports this, is how this would have been set up. And how it's set up absolutely matters to the story that Jesus wants told in this Last Supper. Okay? Here's what we know from ancient Jewish and Roman sources. The actual setup of the table would have been different. It would have been more in a U-shaped form. Okay? And... The way that this is set up really matters because as we see, we're going to piece together little pieces of the gospel, the four gospel accounts. And we're going to notice the setup for this completely matters in who's sitting in what seat and what Jesus wants them to know. Okay? In Mark's gospel account, it says, while they were reclining at the table. Remember, I asked you to hold on to that word reclining. That little word reclining is significant. This table would have, been, would have been called a triclinium. And the way that this works, okay, is the triclinium, this is a U-shaped table. And what they would be doing is they would be sitting around the table. And likely they would be on these little couches. Or they could have been on these cushions. And so what they would have been doing is they would have been leaning to the left and eating with their right. Okay, and this matters a ton 
Because that opening that they would have in this U-shape was, was, was meant for the servants to go ahead and serve the food. It was meant for entertainment. And then the seating around there would matter. I'm going to bring up a picture of what the triclinium would have looked like with some labels on it, okay? So if we can bring that up. What you're going to notice is the host would be second in from the end. Number two, the, the second honor would have been the trusted friend. And next on the other side of the host would have been the seat of honor. Like this is the special guest. And then if you look on the opposite side of the U, you're going to see the servant. So Ben, why does this all matter? <laughs> it does. It does because what we're about to do is we're about to dive into scripture and we're going we're gonna to find out who's sitting in what seat as Jesus gathers the night before he's crucified with his friends, okay? All right, in John 13, verse 23, we read one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John speaking about himself in this. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. What did we learn? On there, the trusted friend is on the end and he's reclining next to the host. Jesus is the host. John is sitting on the end as a second seat of honor as the trusted friend. Simon Peter motioned to his disciple and asked which one of him, or asked him which one he means. So this whole thing got, goes down where Jesus is explaining, somebody's going to betray me. One of you guys is going to betray me. And we just read that John's reclining next to him in the trusted friend seat, and then Simon Peter motions over to him. Now, if Peter is motioning over to him, can we bring back that labeled seat, please? If Peter is motioning over to him, what seat would he be in? He would be in the servant seat. If John can see him and he can hear him, he would be right there in the servant seat. Now, why does this matter? Why is this whole story that Jesus wants them to understand to go ahead and proclaim the good news because he understands what's going to happen, but he uses this last supper to teach them another lesson. What we know about Peter is he was the oldest disciple. He was going to be the chief rabbi, but yet he's serving, he's sitting in the servant seat. That's not where the oldest and the next, the next line of order is going to be sitting. But Jesus tells him, Jesus has him sit in the servant seat. And we read just before this in John's gospel account, you remember where John or where Peter says to Jesus, you, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing yours. Now it's starting to click because Peter is in the servant seat. And this goes completely against what the Jewish tradition would have been look, looking like back then. The oldest wouldn't be sitting in the servant seat. The servant is sitting closest to the door. He's going to make sure that all your drinks, all your food, everything is filled, and he's going to be serving the other disciples and Jesus. This is the story. There's parts of the story where Jesus really wants Peter to grasp something important. And then if you look at John, John is the youngest disciple. And yet John is sitting right next to Jesus as his trusted friend. 
The oldest disciple is Peter in the seat of service. And again, it makes sense because if we look according to Luke's gospel account of this story, in chapter 22, there is a quarreling among them, isn't there? They start talking about who's the greatest. Jesus is is wanting them to get a picture of the greater story. And all the disciples can do is talk about who the greatest is. And he's like, look around, look at the order of this table. Jesus responds to their quarreling in, in Luke with this. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. It's brilliant. It gives his disciples a completely different story of what needs to be told. I love this. He completely flips the order. The greatest will be the servant of all. And here's where it gets really interesting. If John is in the, seat, in the second seat of honor and Peter is in the servant seat, we're missing something, aren't we? We're missing the special guest of honor. And in Matthew 26, verse 23, we, we read that Judas is dipping his hand in the bowl, same as Jesus, which means Judas is sitting where? He is sitting in the seat of honor, isn't he, Said, Don't lose sight of this. It's almost as if Jesus says something to him where he says, I want you to know I love you. I know what you did. I know exactly what you did. You betrayed me. And I still want you to know that you have a seat at the table and I love you. How many of us feel like we have done so much stuff and we tell ourselves a story that we're not worthy? And here Jesus is telling Judas, I still love you. This is the greatest betrayal. And yet I still love you. You still have a seat. And Judas has already made up his mind because he already had a story that he wanted to be told. And he makes up his mind And and Jesus says to him, we read in John's gospel account that Jesus says to him, what you must do, go and do quickly. What you need to go do, I understand what that means for me. I need you to go and do it quickly. And And then he excuses, we read that Judas gets up and leaves the table. That moment completely shifts this whole dinner This is the moment then where Jesus goes into some of the most critical teaching that he has ever taught. And it happened when the whole mood shift and when they started to realize there is a bigger story here. This is why it's important because John, being the youngest, is going to look at this and say, I don't feel like I'm worthy of this. I'm the youngest. These are all older disciples I don't feel like I'm worthy. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Come sit next to me. And then you have Peter who says, I'm the oldest. I'm the next in line. I shouldn't be serving. And Jesus says, I want you to learn something about leadership. I want you to learn that serving others is more important than being served. And you have Judas who tries to take control of the situation. 
And, Ju- and Jesus says, listen, I already know what's going to happen. You didn't need to do this. And yet you still have a seat at the table. It always has and it continues to be difficult for us to focus less on our story being told or less on the bigger story and more on our own, our own story being told, whether it's to our friends, to our families, to whomever. Like we want to be the focal point. And what Jesus is saying and how everybody is seated around the table, he's saying, no, 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 no. I want you all to understand we are to be servants. And no matter what we've done, you have a seat right here. All right. We get that. That was a lot to go through. I hope you understand. I hope it kind of changes the way that you look at this Last Supper. Um, I'm going to give you a visual of this teaching. All right. And there is nothing. The cinematic greatness of Rocky is just unbelievable. No? Rocky? All right. Let me give it to you this way. Uh, Kids, let me explain who Rocky is and what this means. Rocky, this is a movie about a boxer. And um, he trains by pushing cars through the snow in Russia. And he takes a thousand punches to the face. And yet he still gets up. Like, it's amazing. But I want to show you a clip from Rocky too. Okay? So can you go ahead and roll that, please? I don't even know what he said there. All right. Anybody remember that scene? Yeah? All right. Do you remember, do you remember the girl in the green coat? No? Okay. She's right there, right there on the left. That's my cousin. I'm kidding. I'm totally, totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, now, what if, you, what if you're at a party, okay, Christmas party, and you are um, hanging out, and you meet this woman, and you just strike up a conversation with her, and you say, hey, hey, like, wh- what do you do? That's a common question for us, right? What do you do? And she says, oh, I'm, I'm a movie star. And you're like, Really? Like, what movies, what big movies have you been in? And she's like, Rocky too. You're like, what? She's like, yeah, you remember that scene where he, like, runs a 4-3-40, and he jumps up there, and he says something that nobody remembers or can't make it out, but he's jumping up and down, and all these people gather around him. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'm the one in the green coat. And you're like, what? She's like, yeah, that scene was about me. If you, were to, if you were to hear that from her, you would immediately think delusional. <laughs> Completely delusional, right? You see, my point in this is that her role, she did her role so well that you didn't recognize her. She ran up those steps and she cheered on Rocky and she did exactly what she should, should have done for five seconds. She was in that movie for five seconds 
That was her role. That was it. So when we look at our role, our role isn't to point to our own story. Our role isn't to point to all the things that we've done or to be the star of the show. No, in everything we do, it is to point to God and to celebrate him and cheer him on and make sure others see him for what he is, which is a good father. When we take that approach, I wonder what some of the situations in our life would look like. What if we tell our story with the intent of highlighting God's story? Our story is to glorify God in everything we do. Let's say you're in a fight with your spouse. What story would glorify God in that moment? What if you have a chance to be generous or you have a chance to go ahead and increase your bank account? What story would glorify God in that moment? What if you see someone getting bullied? And you have a choice to walk away or you have a choice to stand up for somebody. What story would glorify God in that moment? What if you're angry at somebody and you just cut them off, right? Passive aggressive way of just not engaging with them. Or you could call them up and say, hey, I don't like the way things are right now. What story would glorify God? Does your story celebrate and cheer on and point to a God that loves us and invites us to a table? And we experience transformation so we can help others experience transformation. So today, we have an opportunity to physically do that. Not only are we going to ask those two questions, right? What is God saying to me? What am I going to do about it? Let me just quick revisit that. My hope is that the Holy Spirit is working in you right now to ask those two questions. What is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? There are relationships, there are situations in our life when we hear about what story would glorify God, that that is doing something in you and through you. And it's challenging, I get it. But we grow when we are challenged. And today, we do have that opportunity, a physical reminder of what Jesus has done for us. In the next 24 hours that we read this for the, through Matthew's gospel account, we learn that he is crucified as an enemy of the state for you and for I, for the forgiveness of our sins. And we have this physical reminder to, to, to remind just to kind of remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us through the sacrament of communion. The greatest story that was ever told, right? The night before he's betrayed, he sits at the table and he joins in communion with his disciples. And in a moment, what I'm going to do, we're going to do that together as well. But in a moment, I'm going to invite you. You're going to see four tables that are around this gym. Um, The back one is gluten-free, if that suits you better. But in a moment, I'm going to invite us to go ahead. And if we have acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and we understand what he's done for us, and he understands what he's inviting us into, I want us to know that we are all invited to these tables. 
And so I'm going to ask you in a moment to go ahead and stand up and then head to one of the tables. Yes, it gets a little, little messy, maybe not as messy as some of our Thanksgiving <laughs> dinners, but I want us to go ahead and get up, head to the table. Okay. But I want to read how Matthew wraps this up. He wraps up this, this, with, uh, this moment here in Matthew 26 with, with Jesus' words. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of the sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Will you please pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you for all that have entered um, in this gym today. God, I thank you for the little ones that give us a glimpse of why you said don't, don't prevent the children from coming to me. God, I thank you uh, for those that are coming in, God, that we know we all carry different stuff. And God, that when we tell your story, God, that there is transformation that happens. And so, God, I pray that as we partake in this physical reminder of what you have done for us, God, that we are not the center, God, but what we reflect on what you have done for us. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. You are all invited to the table.